630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. for tuning in tonight inside sports on 630 chad my name is reed wilkins uh man we had ron kittle on the show we had jack michaels on the show he was back from wimbledon and uh we keep rolling we have mike johnson in studio former pitcher for the uh, montreal expos and other locales which i'm sure we'll uh get to talking about and of course uh of course you're an edmonton native which is important to remind people how are you doing matt Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, it's great to meet you. Uh, I mean, uh, I know as uh, where would have I been working? I was working in Lloyd Minster when you would have been pitching for the es- uh, for the Expos, and uh, obviously the uh, Edmonton connection there. So I always uh, followed what you were doing. So it's great to get to meet you in person. Uh, how's life? I mean, what are you up to these days? Um, kind of just obviously done playing. I think my last year was 2012, but. Uh been lucky enough to open up an indoor facility on the West End and uh, also working with a local baseball academy out of St. Albert. I've uh, been doing that for two years, opened the facility in November and um, yeah, it's just indoor batting cages with a gym and um, something that I really kind of felt that number one I really wanted to do but something that the city was kind of lacking. There are a couple other ones around but um, feel like we kind of bring a little bit more to the table as far as diversity so right and that the five what's it called the five tool five tool field house five tool field house. so i mean you you took the plunge there i mean a lot of ex-players will coach or mentor or manage or whatever but you, you're like no i'm i'm helping to build this and you're like you're one of the people running it and all that fun stuff yeah um i i kind of ran into a good situation though as far as like getting it started i've always kind of had the idea of, of doing it but uh with me working at the academy, um, the St. Albert Prospects out of St. Albert, obviously, they work out of my facility, which obviously helps. Um, and then <clears throat> uh, got to know Taylor Burns from uh, from St. Albert, he used to work at the academy also, but he got a strength and conditioning certificate and was looking to start his own gym. So we kind of partnered a little bit. I supplied him with the gym and he... Um, uh, came up with his own business absolute human performance so he's he's working out of the gym there and gave him a spot to work and the relationship's been working out really well so i've been lucky enough to kind of surround myself with some people to really kind of get it going off the ground all right well i, w- I want to talk more about that and just working with you know hopefully the the next generation of, of edmonton kids who are going to play in the majors one day um but i mean your story mike uh you know you're growing up when you were the most you were born in the 70s so you're growing up in the 80s you're becoming a teenager in the 90s obviously uh what, w- what was your neighborhood by the way uh, well, I was born in Edmonton, and then once I started grade school, I moved. Uh, my family moved out to Short Park. Short Park, okay. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, how does how does young Mike Johnson <laughs> from from Edmonton and Short Park uh, one day find himself, you know, on the mound for the Montreal Expos, pitching at Wrigley and Shea and the Big O and all these pl- places? I mean, it's uh, we're not we're not a baseball hotbed necessarily for developing well, especially back then especially back then so what happened how'd you do it well a lot of stuff happened before before i ended up getting getting to baltimore and montreal but um i think one of the big things is i never played hockey so how come? i don't know just my parents never put it in like put me into any any skating or any hockey and never really grew grew an interest in it i was always kind of playing like school sports and stuff during uh during the winter time which gave me a little bit of a break from baseball, doing some baseball camps and stuff like that. But 
Um, yeah, I started playing when I was the age of four, and I don't know. I just kind of really took to the game. Like I understood the game really well, and obviously, like I was pretty good at it at, at a young age. Um, had a good arm, and again, just had a good understanding of of, uh, of what I was doing out there and the way the game worked. And as I kind of, and I was really lucky to be surrounded with um, a lot of my really good friends who are still friends to this day, where we just basically kind of grew up playing throughout the summertime. And uh, we had really good teams, and we were really competitive, and um, and just great. I mean, great coaches. Not necessarily from like the the technical aspect aspect as far as like teaching you the games and stuff, but mm -hmm. really helping you kind of uh, foster the love for the game. And I think that was kind of the one thing that I loved summer coming around, where where I could get out and play, even though our summers aren't that long and our seasons aren't that long. But, right. Um, yeah, and then I would say probably around, I don't know, the age of 14, 15, like kind of the dream of, of playing professional baseball was starting to kind of creep into my mind a little bit. And if there was like a defining moment in my amateur career, it's it's probably, I don't know if you remember the name Joe Young, but Joe was like a really big prospect. He was from Fort McMurray, played yep. out of Confederation Park. which Yeah, I remember the name, yeah. Anyways, big, big, huge, strong, strong guy that threw really hard. And I started a game against him um, just over by Southgate Mall. Playing for Shirt Park, he's playing for Confed. And it was kind of like the big matchup that year. And there were some scouts there to see him. And I ended up pitching really, really well, and I ended up beating him that game. And that was kind of, I think, kind of really opened a couple doors for me as far mm -hmm. as um, people noticing me and wanting to come out and see me. So a couple scouts would come out and watch me watch me pitch and then went to a major league scouting bureau camp just over at john fry okay and, and this is still your mid-teens yeah well by this time i'm like yeah well like 16 17 yeah, high school okay yeah yep and then yeah went there there was like four of us we ran we threw we hit and and yeah uh pat gillick was there that day so oh wow okay. who, was, who was the gm gm of the blue jays who ended up drafting me so incredible okay uh so was it pitching for you like uh, when you were even a teenager you're like if i'm gonna make it it's gonna be as a pitcher or i mean oftentimes kids play multiple positions at that age what was it for you um when i wasn't pitching i was playing in the outfield played a little bit of infield and stuff but i mean i'll tell you this day like at that age i was scared of the ball so i was fine running around <laughs> okay. and, th and throwing it in, into the infielder so um <clears throat> but no i i actually had a couple teams that were interested in me as an outfielder because I could, I could run pretty well, and obviously I could throw. But uh, I, and talking to people, that the bat probably just wasn't going to be there. So okay. But at the end of the day, um, it's all about arms. I mean, all the best arms are on the mound and stuff. And I didn't necessarily throw like really hard, especially in today's standards. Okay. But uh, but I had a looseness to my arm where they knew if I just kind of grew into it, and that's kind of what happened. I just kind of gained velocity as I as I was going along, and about my fourth year. I kind of reached my max velocity, and and um, that's kind of where I stayed for. for well, what, what was your max velocity? How hard did you throw it? Um, if you were feeling probably good? average. Well, I'd probably average like eighty nine, eighty two. I'd pitch in there like pretty consistently. Right. Uh, eighty nine, yeah, eighty nine, ninety two, and then I top out at like ninety four. Okay, and how in a in a what percentage of the time do you think you used your fastball in the bigs? <laughs> that's a um, tough question. Yeah, probably, tough but question, but probably. 
Probably like 60% of the time. Okay, and would that be standard, or were some guys, like, would Verlander use it more? Like, um, I think it depends on who they are. Like, if yeah. you're doing that percentage with relievers, yeah. um, relievers usually are, like, two-pitch guys. Right. And <clears throat> obviously, like, more power guys. I mean, if I was throwing 98 like guys are today, I'd use my fastball <laughs> use a little bit more, too. Right? Good point. I get yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but my strength actually was my off-speed stuff. I could really spin the ball really well. Okay. And did you always have that from a kid? Like, just that ability to do it? Yeah. I remember it was in Shirt Park at, like, Kinsman Field that doesn't even exist anymore. And, and my coach and my coach uh, that year, Dave Plotsky, he, uh, he showed me a curveball, like, showed me a knuckle curve. And first time I threw it, like it broke like three feet. Like I could just, really? yeah, I could just make oh, the ball geez. spin. I could just make the ball spin really well. <laughs> That's amazing. Mike Johnson joining us in studio. Uh, and look, I've, I've always introduced you. And when I teed up that you were coming on as a former expo, because I thought that would make people the most interested. But you mentioned the Blue Jays connection and obviously the Orioles. So I want to get into that. Here's what we're going to do, Mike. We're going to take a timeout. We're going to talk uh, some more specifics. We'll get more into what you're doing now and working with younger athletes. And uh, it's it's been fun the last couple of weeks. We had Mark Pesic in last night who plays for the Florida Panthers. We had Colton Pareko in a couple of weeks ago who plays for the St. Louis Blues. And we got a former Major League pitcher in studio tonight. So if you have a question or something you'd like to know from Mike, uh, you can text 630-630. Because it's radio, it's going to be tough for him to show you how to throw that off-speed pitch with all the rotation. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to shoot a little video and put it on Twitter. <laughs> Did you bring a baseball, Mike? I should have brought a baseball. Oh, we could have showed might, the good grip. Might have one in my truck. <laughs> 7.15 Inside Sports. We're coming right back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 6.30 Chad. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. We have Mike Johnson in studio, former big league pitcher, played, uh, what I could say, mostly for the Montreal Expos? In the big leagues, yeah. In the big leagues, uh, drafted by the Blue Jays. Um, we want to get into the, get into uh, some of that. Uh, we had Ron Kittle on the show. He's coming to the Prospects game on Friday, so he was at him to try. Like, when you were a kid, were you going to Trappers games? Yeah. Were you looking up to some of those guys? Well, it's actually funny. I mean, I remember guys like Devon White and and uh, Pete Coachman, Lee Stevens, who I actually played with in Montreal. Okay, which was right. Kind of, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I brought that up to him, and he wasn't too happy because it kind of <laughs> aged him a little bit. Jeez. Oh, but uh, but no, I remember Tim Salmon, like a lot of those really good, really good Angels teams that were here, and I was like one of those young kids with my glove at John Ducey Park, standing up trying to trying to get a ball, bugging all the players trying to get balls. Yeah. So yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and were you were the Expos of the Blue Jays your favorite big league team, or was there somebody else? Um, no, I'd say like both. And people ask me that question all the time. Like, do I have like favorite teams? I don't. I kind of like. I just kind of like watching players. Okay. And that's honestly like that's kind of the one of the things that I think really made me better as as far as understanding the game, but also like learning things as far as maybe that I didn't really know the technical side of it mm-hmm. but basically just trying to emulate people like my favorite pitcher at the time was Nolan Ryan my favorite hitter was Ken Griffey Jr. because I played center field I was a left-handed hitter okay so I wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. when when I was in the outfield and emulate his swing and same with Nolan Ryan I had like big leg kick and stuff like that right and but yeah I think that's one thing that's one thing that probably a little bit lacking now as far as other kids, like kids kind of growing up, they they like watching the game, but they don't really kind of watch the game to really kind of learn the game, if right. that makes any sense. 
I think it makes sense, but what, why don't you explain? Like, are you saying they just want the they want the glory and not the learning all the details of the mechanics, or they want you know the big home run or the big highlight? Like, what are you what are you thinking? Um, no, not so much. I just think it's a different generation where I don't. Like, I talk to kids about, like, watching games, and they just don't watch as many games. Even right. though there's a lot of games on TV now, right? You can turn it on every single night, and um, kind of the same thing in hockey. Like, I love watching hockey, but, and I, I can never do, like, what those guys do on the ice. But, like, when I get on the ice, still at my age, I get on the ice, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and be like Ovechkin or whatever, right? <laughs> but, like, emulate, and, I mean, that's a great way of learning and trying new things and see what works for you, see what doesn't work for you. I mean... That's working for the best players in the world. What's saying that a piece of that can't work for you? Well, that's just, yeah, that's a good good way to put it. Uh, so when you talk about Nolan Ryan, you're not talking about the headlock on Ventura then? Oh, no, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how you wanted to emulate him. No, that wouldn't be me anyways. I'd be running <laughs> center field. <laughs> Did you ever get charged after plunking a guy? No, but I got hit on purpose. Oh, somebody hit you on purpose? Why would yeah. they do that to a fellow pitcher? I was having a bad I was having a bad game and their three hole hitter was up and I just couldn't command my fastball and a fastball ran up and in on him and hit him pretty high. Okay. <clears throat> and I was leading off the next inning. This was in double A, so pitchers were hitting when I was playing with the Expos. And I was leading off the inning. I knew it was coming. First one like went right underneath my chest, I got out of the way. And then the next one squared me up like right on the right on kind of the tailbone. And it, I knew it was coming. I just dropped my bat. But the best thing about it is the next guy came up and hit a home run, so I scored. Well, see, that's that's the interesting thing about plunking guys in baseball. And I mean, like, like in hockey, okay, we're mad, we're gonna fight. It's likely gonna be five each, mm-hmm. um, five minutes each. Maybe somebody will get a power play out of it, but you kill off eighty percent of those. Mm-hmm. Like in baseball, okay, you can plunk a guy, and you feel like you're getting him back, but you're putting a guy on base who could actually. Score for them. Well, especially a pitcher that can't hit. <laughs> right, right. You, you should have been. I'm an easy out. Hit one of the guys. Hit one of the guys that can actually do some damage. Does that like how does that if you're a pitcher and you plunk a guy on behalf of somebody like does that get the guys fired <laughs> up? Because um, it's a total. Because you got to you, you know I know I'm asking this from the Canadian hockey fan perspective, right? And you you've probably been asked this before. Well, I've been in the position where. You got to stand up for your teammates. You got to stand up for your players. Because if you don't, it doesn't really matter what the other team thinks. You'll lose respect of the players that you're playing with, and you don't want to do that. So, <clears throat> I've been in a situation where a couple of liberties have been taken with our players and stuff, and we got to kind of put a stop to it. And you're never going out there trying to hurt somebody, so you're never trying to hit anybody in the head or something. But at the end of the day, like a message has to be sent that we're not going to stand for that type of thing. And again, it's. It's standing up for your players, but you're also garnering the respect of your own players, knowing that you, you got their backs if something something like that did happen. We got a text here from uh, Denise who says, uh, "Reed, can you ask Mike what he thinks of the automatic intentional walk rule? So now they can signal the um, four fingers and take your base." Well, I understand the reasoning behind it because I think it's going to speed up the game. But it's it's kind of funny. Something that happens basically one one every two every three games is really not going to make that much of a difference. So <clears throat> when it first came out, and I'm still kind of at the same point where I don't I don't like it because it's a part of the game. Right. And to give you an example, so I'm playing for Baltimore. We're in Tiger Stadium playing the playing the Tigers. We're it's a tie game. We have bases are uh, sorry runners on second and third. Right. We're pitching. Okay. And our pitcher's putting a guy on. And he overthrew, run scored, game over. Game over. 
So, I mean, it's about execution, right? Right. There might be a game every couple of years that ends that way, but that win could get a team into the playoffs. But, it's again, it comes down to ex- execution. Now you got, and if you know, I mean, there's guys like John Lester that can't throw to bases. There's guys that I've actually played with that had to do intentional walk and they can't do it. So, I mean, like to, what me, happens to me, it's in, part of the game. What happens in a pro baseball player's head or body, and or body, that he can't complete, like, like Lester's a great story, because he's been one of the best pitchers of the last decade, mm-hmm. would you not say? Yep. A top 10 pitcher? For sure. Uh, and he can't complete the throw to first base. Like, what What happens? Is that just like you can't make a three-foot putt because you're... <laughs> or make a, fr- or a free throw, even though the net's not moving, right. nobody's nobody's in your face doing stuff. I right. mean, it's, it's like Shaquille O'Neal taking a free throw, right? Yeah, fair point. Or Charles Barkley taking a golf swing. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, it's... But you've seen it happen, I assume, to teammates and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Or, I mean, if everybody remembers, like, Rick Ankeel, like, the next thing for the Cardinals coming in, couldn't throw a strike. And not even, like, come close to basically throwing balls off the backstop. And it's a really hard thing. It's a really hard thing to to watch because it's something that, as a player, you'd never want to go through. Mm-hmm. John Lester's obviously done a great job of still being able to hold runners and, and do what he can and to be as, as successful as, as he is. But uh, I think the big thing is just it just really plays into like how strong the mind is, as far as if doesn't matter what you tell yourself if your mind's telling you something that you don't really have control over. That I mean, that's basically controlling your body and telling your body what to do. So, Mike, can you can you stick around a little bit after? Because I got a couple of uh, texts here about. Um uh, about dealing with umps too mm-hmm. and, and inconsistent strike zones. So I definitely want to get your perspective on that. You know, some people are ready for robot umpires. I don't know if we're going to quite see that. Yeah. yeah I'll be here for a while if we're talking about that. Uh, I got a text here from uh, Ryan. He says, uh, Reed, love the interview with Mike. As a Sherwood Park kid, he was one of my heroes during my minor baseball days. So there you go. Somebody was looking up to you. I got a fan. Inside Sports on 630 Chad, we got Mike Johnson in studio. Uh, told you the tale about going from uh, Edmonton, Sherwood Park to the big leagues. Uh, and he'll uh, have some tales from the big leagues. And you can text 630-630 if uh, you would like to know anything as well. We're coming right back after the 730 News. Inside Sports on Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30, Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, Mike Johnson is in studio, former Major League pitcher, now what uh, coaching, mentoring, helping all levels of all players here in Edmonton. Is that a fair description? Yeah, try not to mess them up too much. The, the 5-2 Fieldhouse. By the way, people can give... Uh, do you got a website for that or people can give it a Google? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're on <coughs> Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but uh, the website's just f- as simple as it gets, 5toolfieldhouse.com. Right on. And it's West End? West End, yeah. Okay. Uh, you're going to like this one. Hey, Mike, how does a guy from Sherwood Park end up coaching in St. Albert... I don't know if I can forgive you for that, LOL. <laughs> you probably knew one like that was coming. Yeah, well, especially back when I played, St. Albert and us were like huge rivals and always had great games and stuff. But, um, yeah, I guess when Sherwood Park comes up with an academy, I'll, I'll consider it. 
Uh, Sam says, uh, Reed, enjoying listening to Mike. He's explaining the game very elegantly. Sheldon says, uh, Reed, I hope Mike doesn't think this is an odd question, but there is a reason that it seems the bunt is not used as much as before. Wow. Is there a reason? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm going to assume Sheldon is talking about the sacrifice. Yeah. Because yeah. not a lot of guys will do it to try to get on. No, I mean obviously in the National League with the pitchers hitting, if runners are on and there's and there's less than two outs, they're going to be sacrificing them over. But the game's just evolved from kind of the more that small ball. I mean, you can say the same thing about stolen bases. You think back to like Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman stealing a hundred bags, yeah, hundred bags a year, and and now I think like the leader's somewhere in like forties. Like even yeah, it's out, rare to get a guy out, over sixty. Yeah, and I think the big thing is is. I mean, you look through the lineup. When you look back at kind of like early 90s and then the 80s, you kind of had your three, four, five-hole hitter. Were hitting, they were hitting a lot of home runs. The difference is a lot of home runs was 30. Now you're looking at guys like Judge and John Carlos Stanton. They're hitting 50 and 60 home runs. I think the big thing as far as what teams are thinking is they don't want to run into outs because it's no longer three, four, and five. Like your eight, nine-hole hitter are hitting 20 home runs. Right. So that you have power throughout the lineup, throughout pretty much all the teams. That, I mean, you only have 20 outs, 20 outs to give. You don't want to run into one, knowing that any guy in the lineup can put one out of the park. Okay, is the, but does that does that make it less interesting to watch that so many at bats result in either a strikeout or a home home run? Like, have we lost some of the the nuance of the game, the strategy of the game, that that chess match that you know some of the great managers are remembered for, and I know it's still there, but do you think some of it's waned a little bit? Um, well, I, th- I think the big thing for me is when you think back, kind of watching like American League and National League, National League ball. Um, American League was more like the power league; they played for the home right, run, right. Whereas the National League was more kind of the speed, the small ball type game. And I remember you were talking about umpires. Even that part of it was different because you had National League umpires and you had American League umpires. So if we're talking about like the strike zone and stuff, the one thing that I really enjoyed that was an aspect of the game that really isn't that really isn't involved anymore because they have that electronic strike zone that people get umpires get criticized for all yep. the time. Is not only as a pitcher did you have to know, or as a hitter did you have to know who you're facing, whether it was a hitter or whether whether it was a pitcher, you had to know the umpire strike zone. Because there was guys that would give you something off the something off the plate. Like you remember when those great, great Braves teams were pitching, and Maddox would just—I mean, if he got three inches off the plate, he'd try and get four. Right. He'd try and get five, and if he knew the right umpire, he would get it. And it's great when I think the I think the Blue Jays. Well, the Blue Jays' anniversary of their World Series was just a couple of years ago, and they were playing all those Braves, yeah. all those Braves and Blue Jays games, and like pitching staffs were unbelievable, and they had some really good hitters. And guys were getting calls off the plate, and you never saw hitters complain about it. And the reason they never complained about it is because their pitchers are getting the same calls. <laughs> right. Well, as now, I mean, the ball's like half an inch off the plate, and the umpire calls it a strike. Guys are complaining about it. But now it's justified because they're like, well, it's not that Because now they have that it's overlay on all the so broadcasts. They go back and they yeah. look at video, video replay because it's instantaneous, and they can see, like, that ball's off. But for me, it kind of took away, like, the human aspect of it. Um, so to get to your point as far as like the robotic umpires, like that would be just a travesty in my mind. <laughs> being a little bit more old school. But as far as the as far as like the small ball, I mean, yeah, it's 
It does, but if you think of kind of like your general fan that's out there, what do they want to see? They want to see somebody yeah, they want highlights. Stri- they want to see yeah. somebody striking out 15 guys, or they want to see somebody hitting four home runs in yeah. a game. Especially if you're paying to go to the game, right? Yeah. You're not going to go run home to your family and say you saw three sack flies yeah, that, I, I, yeah, I just in a 2-1 that. game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people, people want to see... How far guys can hit it, yeah. and they can hit a long ways now. I do. I got to say though, I do miss the stolen base. Like there's so much drama in that play with when a great stealer gets on and a pitcher. I mean, you probably yeah. <laughs> didn't like when a great base stealer got on. How much would that? Are you concentrating on that guy? A lot. Um, I mean, you want to keep him on first base, and because you know if they get on second base, that they're fast, and you get a base hit, that's a run. Sure. So, I mean, you're doing your best to keep them on first base. So if you're doing your best to try and hold him on first base, it's taking away from what you're trying to do to the plate, which, again, adds kind of that excitement factor to it, right? You know he wants to go, he wants to go, but I don't want to give up a hit. I'm trying to get a ground ball double play to get out of the inning or get two outs. So, I mean, those are kind of like the little nuances of the game that that uh, that maybe people don't really kind of think about. When it comes, I got, I got to ask you about the ump stuff, and I always tell the story. Uh, a few years ago, I got to do some play-by-play for U of A basketball. So you call the games right by the Bears and Pandas bench, and you probably remember Don Horwood, the great Golden Bears basketball coach. He was so animated, yeah. and I'd love hearing all those little discussions with the refs, right? And I mean, I know in baseball they say you can't argue balls and strikes; you get, you get kicked out of the game. Um, so I mean, when it's out there, and you think. You know, you're hitting the corner, you're not getting the corner, or the other pitcher's getting something you did. What could you or your catcher do? What could you say that maybe you might get away with to try and plant the seed in the ump that maybe you're not getting a fair shake? Could you Um, do anything? Well, if you're talking about me when I was 21 years old breaking into the big leagues, I don't do anything. Right. Right? Because that was kind of the other thing, too, is... um, so you take me at 21, or you, and I'm pitching against Randy Johnson. Or like a good example is I pitch in Yankee Stadium, and I pitched against Andy Pettit. And Andy Pettit was like well-known, established, like one of the best pitchers, one of the best pitchers in the game at that time, and obviously throughout his career. That was the other kind of the other aspect is I'm not necessarily going to get the same calls that that he's going to get, especially if I'm facing Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter's going to get the benefit of the doubt over me every single time, right? as opposed to Andy Pettit facing like some rookie that's just coming up. But I mean, again, that was that's kind of part of the game. That's also kind of gone <laughs> because of that animated strike zone that's that's kind of out there. It doesn't really matter kind of doesn't really matter who you are or, and stuff because the umpires are getting critiqued and they're getting evaluated based on that strike zone. So, again, I just kind of go back to like the human factor where where maybe again, people don't really think about it that way, but um it added a lot more excitement when you were playing. When you were playing, for sure. So, but you were fine with that, with the vets getting the breaks. Um, you just, I guess, you just accept it when you're in that world. Well, you know, you kind of, you're trying to establish yourself. You're trying to prove yourself to hopefully get to the point where you start getting those benefit of the doubts. If you're in, if you're in that situation, and if you're lucky lucky enough to stick around the league long enough, that uh, that those that those calls start going your way. But you got to earn them. Mike Johnson joining us in studio. I mean, we got to talk. We're already running out of time here, and I got dozens of questions. But we got to talk about what your time with the Expos because you were there. Well, it was a long demise, I guess, <laughs> unfortunately for the franchise. But I mean, what was it like just just playing in Montreal first of all? Because it's an incredible city, and I think I always thought there was passion for the team, but yet 
you sometimes there weren't a lot of people spending money to show that passion in terms of attending games. So I was like, what was that like? Um, it was frustrating at times, but I mean, still like looking back, like I have have some really good friends in Montreal still, and and uh, that I still talk to now. That, uh, but as far as the fan base, I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess you got to kind of look at what what they're able to do based on what they had. They never really had like a really big payroll. They right. always developed unbelievable players. And if, I mean, it's a huge list of players that were developed in Montreal and went on and had amazing careers, Hall of Fame careers, if you want to call them that, um, with other teams. But uh, I, think that's, I think that's the thing that kind of wore on people is what if we could just kind of keep these guys? What if we had the money to spend on these guys? Like, they would have been contenders every single year. Yeah. But that was kind of the issue is, well, why am I going to spend money if they're not even going to pay these players to stay to stick around? Right. And I think, that's, I think that kind of puts it in perspective as maybe what people were thinking. Uh, you, did you play with Vlad? Played with Vlad. I played with Pedro Martinez. Wow. Uh, first year he won is Cy Young. I got traded in 97 to Montreal and it was actually quite funny because Pedro Pedro I started behind Pedro um, and he was going for like the record in Montreal strikeouts like um, season season record in strikeouts okay and I want to say that there was about like 3,000 people in the stands and then I started the next night I think the big difference is it might have been like a Friday night as opposed okay. to like a Thursday night. Right. <laughs> but I pitched. I pitched on. I pitched on the weekend or on the Friday night, and there was like seven thousand people in there. And like this is this isn't right. I'd be I'd be paying to go watch Pedro. Uh, I, I got to ask you about Guerrero because he was a guy I really liked watching. And now, I mean, his son has all this this potential. Uh, did you like? Did you see it in him? right away like when we was really young or like when did you start to think like oh okay this oh, no. this well when i got to montreal he was he had already been there for a year or two and okay he, he had already established himself okay. like he shot through the minor leagues and for some reason i thought he debuted after you but no all right. he was he was, he was already there when i got there but he i mean he's kind of like a generational player that comes around like every so often or not very often i guess but uh just could do everything. You could basically he could single-handedly change a game, and I think the best thing about Vladdy was that he was so so humble in everything he did. He wasn't flashy, and and he just he just truly loved playing the game. Um, whether he was playing defense and throwing rockets from right field or hitting balls that bounced in the dirt and hitting them out. Which he did in Double A. Like that actually is a true story. That's true story. Ball <laughs> bounced. It was like he was playing cricket, Played cricket. and hit and hit it out. So like that, that's such an interesting thing because like I remember him more, more so like hitting home runs on almost like neck high pitches too. Mm-hmm. So I mean clearly, no coach is going to step in and say, "Hey, that's a ball." Like you're going to live with the times he misses it because he might hit it 500 feet. Well, it's funny. Like was how do you t- coach that, right? Well, I was talking to guys like, "Well, how do you, how do you how do you." pitch to Vladdy and they said just throw him down the middle and hope he mets it because if you throw it anywhere else he's going to hit it uh, M texting in Mike huge fan of yours uh, met you back in 2004 some athletes after they retire they get into different sports recreationally have you tried anything new oh there's an interesting one um, recreationally uh, I've yeah. gone into golf um, dabbling in water polo a little bit oh really but, uh, yeah Trying to swim around, stay in some sort of shape, but 
Um, no, I try and do stuff. Try and do stuff. Uh, played a little bit of slow pitch this year with some friends. And, yeah, if I got time, like going out, going to play in a couple of golf tournaments this summer and stuff. But, okay, now uh, when you're playing slow pitch, like, do you have to dial it back a little bit? Oh, no. Because clearly I'm, I'm, your reflexes and abilities. <laughs> well, a funny story. So I played this year. I played one tournament where we were actually out in Sherrod Park and had a great time. I was, like, diving in the outfield. And, like, I'm full metal jacket, like, right after. I'm, I'm getting after it. And uh, played the next weekend and played the next weekend Kamloops. And um, first at bat, I hit a ground ball to second base and goes off his glove and the diamonds aren't that big, so I'm like running down and pulled both my quad, pulled both my, pulled both oh, my quads. So the mind, the mind still thinks the body can do things, but the body tells me different. Right. All right. So uh, we we got to talk about some of the stuff you're 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 doing nowadays. We mentioned the 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 five tool field house. Now, are you? Uh, and, well, I mean, we, you've done a lot. You you told me during the break you you've coached the junior national team. And you told me when you walked in, you were working with uh, some some kids today. So, do you have a typical day in Edmonton with the with the field house, or like what is a, a typical day right now? A uh, typical day is usually kind of average about three lessons, three mm-hmm. lessons a day. Um, age varies from like nine or ten years old all the way up to like sixteen, seventeen years old. Um, and at the facility, like I said, we have the gym with absolute human performance. We got a, a a bunch of players that are coming in to train with Taylor who's doing a great job with those guys and then they come in and they'll use the cage also to get some swings or they're th- or they're throwing and work with them a little bit mm-hmm. um, and then it's also open to the public so if you want to bring if you you want to bring some buddies out and just take some swings off the slow pitch mean machine and just basically have some fun would you pitch to me um, like would you throw me an 85 mile an hour just so I could get it well it'd be about 75 now <laughs> I probably still couldn't touch it, Mike. Yeah. You know how guys always say, like, oh, I could I could probably make contact with the Major League Fastball. Like, the average guy couldn't even make contact with the Major League Fastball. No. Could he? I mean, I, to put it in perspective, I always kind of describe it this way, where um, to me it's the hardest thing to do in sport. I mean, it, basically the ball leaves the hand, it's there in the blink of an eye, and you're basically trying to pro- process all the information, spin, speed, location, ball, or strike. In, am- in that amount of time, and plus you're trying to hit it. But the best way I can kind of describe it is you're trying to hit a round ball with a round bat, and you're trying to hit it squarely. <laughs> that doesn't even really kind of make sense. Right. But uh, but no, it's it's hard. I mean, the ball's not even going straight, and it's coming at you, well, now, like I said, nowadays, like 95 to 100 miles an hour. Right. So... But what are the what are the like when you read about when somebody does like a science of pitching and hitting article like what do they say basically they're the pitcher has to decide or the the hitter has to just like the hitcher's the the hitter is not even really reacting to what he sees the last third of the way to the plate he has they to already be at distance the, they lose the ball because they've started the swing they don't see the ball for the last six feet right yeah they've already decided in their mind where they're swinging where the ball is going. But right. they don't actually see it. So is that why, like Rivera, for example, had that what they call it, the cutter, the yeah. cut fastball, yeah. because it broke, it moved so far at and the left-handed guys, and so late. Right. Yeah. So you see where it's starting. That's the spot you're swinging to, and then by the time you're swinging, it's moved. So you can't really, even if you know it's going to move. Well, what are you going <laughs> to? Well, I guess the best way to do it is people. You got to cheat to the spot. You know it's going to move. You can't swing to where you see. You got to swing to where you think. It's going to go. 
the problem is, is he never missed either, and he could do he could throw it to the other. It was side. his consistency. He could, he right. could throw it to the other side of the plate too. Right. So yeah. Uh, Mike, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I think I told you it might be 40 minutes max. It's been 50, but it's been uh, incredible. Uh, Sheldon says, uh, Reed, great interview. Thanks for getting Mike in. Um, what do you What do you like most about working with the the younger players, that potential next next generations of of Mike Johnsons? Um, I've been really lucky with the kids that I've been working and working with. Is they're really attentive. They're really eager to learn to get better and and just work at it and to see see them improve and see like when they make contact or when they when they throw a new pitch for a strike and to kind of see like the gratification that they feel that uh, that kind of does everything for me as far as um, the feeling that I get from it and I mean the best thing the best thing that the only thing that I'm trying to do is make them again kind of Garner that enjoyment for the game, or they want to keep coming out and they keep wanting to get better and better and, and trying new things, and and but mainly just having fun with what they're doing. Mike, th- this was awesome to meet you. Thanks. We're we're going to have to do this again, so I'm going to warn you in advance. This isn't the last you've heard of me, but uh, thanks so much for coming in and talking on Inside Sports. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. That's Mike Johnson. We're back after the break. Listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Awesome interview with Mike Johnson, Sherwood Park native, pitched for the Baltimore Orioles and the Montreal Expos. We didn't even get into uh, his career overseas. He pitched in uh, in Japan and Korea. So we'll have to have him on again to get into all that. That was some excellent stuff. You can text 630-630. Uh, Sheldon says, Reed, uh, one pitcher once said the average guy couldn't even warm up with MLB players. They throw so hard. Uh, I would never take an actual pitch from a pitcher. Well, I remember, I, Sheldon, I don't know if this is the exact interview you're referring to, but I remember reading a, an interview with Kurt Schilling, and uh, he said, yeah, the average guy or whoever couldn't even play catch. With, with the major leaguer, they just throw with such pace on the ball. I, I love how Mike explained it and why you know he feels hitting a baseball is is the hardest thing you can do athletically. It uh, if it's not the hardest, it's certainly up there. I couldn't imagine. I mean, I, I think if you stood in the batter's box, and I'm sure there are some of you out there who have played high level baseball, um, and, and and you know maybe NCAA or whatever, so you you've experienced different velocities, better velocities, but. I think if you took the just the average guy who might be, you know, was an okay athlete and still plays a little bit of rec hockey or golf or slow pitch or whatever and said, okay, you're going to stand in the batter's box against, you know, Sale, Verlander, Scherzer, whoever, pick your guy. Like, I think you would just be, even even though you were, ex- you'd be expecting it to be really fast, I think you'd be still shocked at the pace the ball comes in. I mean, you might you might twitch your bat off the shoulder to try to, try to hit it, and that would be it. Awesome to have Mike on the show. Some guests get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Check out the new spring chicken menu with spring-inspired fixins. Start your salivating at northchickenyeg.com. Thanks as well to Ron Kittle. He's going to be at the Edmonton Prospects game on Friday. So it's going to be Ron Kittle, uh, longtime Edmonton baseball executive Mel Kowalchuk, longtime baseball broadcaster Al Coates, doing a hot stove with John Short from five to seven at Remax Field on Friday.
leading into the Prospects game against Regina. So if you have a ticket to the game, you can uh, go to that hot stove. Jack Michaels was also on the show tonight. Well, somebody texted in bull riding would be very difficult. Well, yes, it would. I might choose trying to hit a fastball over bull riding. <laughs> uh, going to be more fun tomorrow. I, I will tease this. Uh, I, it's a it's a non-sports thing, but I think it's going to be pretty cool to have on the show. Uh, 5440 is performing at K-Days on Friday. We uh, have tentatively scheduled a member of the band 5440 to be on Inside Sports. So that'll be something fun as well. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, the studio producer. The producer of the show is the holidaying Dave Campbell. Eskimos back at it in Montreal one week from tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great evening. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.